Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, uh, my heart is glad that you call me your child, that you have called me to you, God. And I pray that as we go through this time together, that you would help me to hear your voice, and that you would help all of us to hear your voice, that the voice of a loving Father who has such great desire for us. God, help us to hear that voice today as we take a look at your word, as we spend time with you, as we wrestle with some of the questions about our lives and, and where we find ourselves. God, you are a God who is not distant, but you are present with us in each and every moment. And today, I am grateful that we have this time to be with you. And so I pray that you would help us to hear your voice clearly, that you would help us find our place in the midst of this, that you would help us to walk through with you all that you have for us. God, we are grateful this time we pray that you continue to be with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for inviting me into your homes or your cars or wherever you find yourself. Uh, we just have a few moments together today, so let's just jump into the deep end, shall we? Um, who are you? Uh, let that question swirl around for a moment, if you would. And, and, and I'm going to ask again, and I would actually really like you to take a pause and to think about the answer to that question. Who are you? My guess is that most of the time when you come up with the answer to that question, and probably just now, you start with a list of the things that you do uh, or, or, or your profession. Uh, I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse or I'm a student. High class of 2020, we see you. Um, I'm a business owner. I run my home and I'm a boss. Uh, and maybe you take that a, a layer deeper than that. And maybe you add into the role that you play in your life. Um, I'm a father or I'm a mother, happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm a son, hi mom if you're watching, happy Mother's Day to you. Um, I'm a sister, I'm a brother, I'm an aunt, I'm an uncle. But if you're like me and most of the people I'm talking to, this season that we're in, uh, where we're socially distant, where we're often alone in our thoughts, where we're separated from the regular rhythms of our life that we've been moored to for so long, and that we've relied on for the definition of our days and our lives and our time, you might have been asking that question in a different way and wondering who you really are and does what I do really matter? And maybe you got there voluntarily. You've decided to embrace this season and you're asking the big questions in your life. But more likely, uh, that question has been thrust upon you. Your job doesn't exist in the way that it did or, or maybe at all. And the feelings of that are ever present or the forced interruption has opened the question to some deep soul searching, or your school year ended prematurely and it looks so different than you had planned and these days are so different, or, or maybe you're looking at your life and wondering how you ended up here and what does it mean going forward? I, I was reading an article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about a restaurant owner, very successful, who had spent her whole life pouring in to this place that she loved and this profession that she loved and had built this whole life around it. And as she entered into this season, she started asking the questions of, uh, of does this matter what I do? Who am I without the, the restaurant? And, and at the very end, the question that she came up with was, does the world even need this when it's all over? When we go back, am I needed? She was asking the biggest questions in her life in this article about restaurants. So what I do matter, does the world need me? Our identity, the answer to who you are, to who I am, defines so much of how we live and how we love and how we operate. 
a few years ago, our, our student ministry team tackled this question. If we could impart one thing to our students in this window of time that we have with them uh, between middle school and high school, if we could impart one thing to them, uh, what is the one thing that would be the most important for them to understand? And, and then they worked together with ministry leaders across the country and cohorts and talked through this. And the answer that they came up with was that if we could help students understand their identity, who they truly are, where their lives come from, that it would change them for the rest of their lives, that if they could understand who they are. And, and one of the reasons that they came up with this answer and why we lean so hard into that is because most adults I know go through seasons where we've had to wrestle through that question. And it can be a time of great growth, but it can also be a time of great pain with a lot riding on the answer. And oftentimes, uh, we experience a lot of brokenness and pain along the way as we try to discover who we truly are. Uh, you and I live out of an identity. And if you're like me, you've tried on a lot of different identities over time. I spent the majority of my life growing up uh, with the identity of achievement, right? To be the high achiever, the grades, the perfect attendance, and all of the activities to pile in there to make the list look great. And listen, there isn't anything wrong about doing these things, but that was the basis of my life. It, it was often just a house of cards that was one test grade or one promotion or one achievement away from all falling apart. And here's the thing, doing great work is admirable. It's a great reflection of God, but it's not my identity. It's not the source of life, and life was not working as that as the basis of it. And so I thought, hey, here's a great idea. Why don't I try doing the opposite of that, right? I will just leave these um, objective patterns of defining my life and move to something a lot more subjective, and I'll just try to be popular, right? And you can probably guess how well that works out of relying on other people to give you your worth not a great move, but it's one so many of us have tried on over time. And then, and then there were the fun identities, right? Uh, the things that we try on over time that at least define our aesthetic choices, if not our deep eternal longings. I remember my summer of country uh, with Garth and Clint and Alan, the cowboy hat that I bought on the way up into the lake that um, eventually just went down yonder on the Chattahoochee, right? And the year or so of grunge and the flannels and the goatee, we've all tried on different identities over time. And they aren't all harmful. And in fact, some of them can be a lot of fun. But at their heart, they're all external pieces that we're trying to fix an internal system that isn't working. The things that we do, the looks that we choose, the measures that we allow to define us, we keep asking these external measures and people and desires to fulfill us in a way that they never can. And a lot of us, a lot of us are feeling it right now. Uh, today, in this season, we're exposed. Uh, we thought we had it together. Uh, we thought we had a lot more figured out than we do and that we were living in a healthy way out of the right place with God and that it was finally all working. And for those of you who started the season knowing you didn't have it all together, uh, thanks for inviting the rest of us in who are just now figuring it out. Um, I got a chance to sit down and talk to our high school seniors the other day. And first, they are awesome. You are awesome. And, and they were already a really special class, the class of 2020, but I'm even more assured of that. They are putting our world and our church on notice, and, and they will change us because of this experience. But you know what they're realizing? They're realizing how much they miss being with other people in person. 
they're realizing that social media and the online hangouts, they're an auxiliary and not a replacement for being with people. They're realizing that they've been too dependent on what they do and accomplish for their self-worth. They're realizing that it's okay to be frustrated with God and to tell him, and that he'll meet them in their pain. They're realizing they weren't really enjoying a lot of the things that they were doing, and it's okay if they stop doing them. And a lot of them are realizing that they really miss the things they were doing, and they're falling in love with them all over again. And to a person, they said that their relationship with God has deepened in this season as they've slowed down, as they've gone straight to the source and realized who they were created to be. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And this is my work and I get to teach and care and be a pastor. And my life looks markedly different than it did when I first started following Jesus. But I've had to wrestle with some big questions in this season. Um, Who am I when I'm not up in front of church on stage every Sunday? Um, Have I come to rely on the lobby and the regular inflow of people in and out of my life to define my relationship with God? Um, Am I really glad that I'm quarantined with three young children? A lot of questions. Where does my joy and my happiness really come from? I've had to realize and I've, I've been exposed to some areas that need some help. That maybe my identity isn't as fully rooted in God as I'd hoped. And it reminded me of a quote that I heard a long time ago. Blaise Pascal, he was a brilliant mathematician in the 1600s, and he's the namesake of a computer programming maybe some of you learned a long time ago. And he said in this writing in 1662, he said this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Bill Bright, founder of Crew, said it much clearer. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Um, If I have a flashlight and I want it to work, you know that there is only one source of power for this. It needs batteries to operate and to be able to provide the power that's there. That if I were to take rocks and shove it in here or sand or paper or matches, you would laugh at the vain efforts of trying to get this thing to work. Um, Yet in our lives, We often shove all of these things into the center of our life, into a place where only one thing can work. We we do it with our accomplishments, our likes, our retweets, our things, our jobs, our families, into a place in the center of our lives where only one thing will work. And the thing is, when we do it, there's usually no laughing about it. In fact, it's usually lauded and, and, and praised and encouraged. And we're living in extraordinary times, under immense pressure, And we have this space, whether chosen or forced, to ask some big questions. So what if this season isn't something to just wait out? What if the gift of distance is to realize how close God is? What if we were changed from the inside out and not just the outside in? What if we left this time knowing who we are? And if we learn during this time who we are, can you imagine what's in store for the days and the weeks and the months and the years 
ahead of our lives. And I think that's where we find John in, in this letter that we've been studying of 1 John. He's a pastor and he cares about his people and they're under pressure and they are early on in the church and they're already experiencing dissension about the truth. And over these last four weeks, he has assured them of these things as we've looked at 1 John. He assured them that he has seen Jesus in the flesh and that what he has said can be trusted and it is true because he is an eyewitness. And that they can test their faith and ask the big questions. They can ask, do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if I do, I can be assured of forgiveness and new life. And they can ask, am I living in such a way that reflects that truth? Am I moving towards or away from God. And last week with Gary, we were able to ask, am I living this love towards others? Am I serving and loving well? It's why we spent this week in NYSERV serving out of this deep love. And John knows his people as God knows us. And he knows how quickly we will put our list together and try to climb up the mountain on our own and just do all the right things and miss the big picture. And so he hinges his letter on chapter three, verses one through three, he gives them the secret, the answer, the hope to fulfill their lives. He gives them the source of power to actually live out the life that they were created for. And here's what he tells them. In 1 John chapter three, verses one through three. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. John reminds them, that the truest thing about themselves, he tells them their true identity and that they will be changed by that truth. And it is the truth that you and I need today. The whole within us can only be filled by God. And that is what God offers, to be his children, to be made whole from the inside out and to become more like who we were created to be our identity, what we believe to be most true about ourselves affects every decision and action we take. And as mentioned before, we so often let the externals define that and to be the lens in which we make our decisions. But John, John knows that we need a new way to live, a new hope. That if we truly believe that we are children of God, that all of the new hope of life, the transformed life that Christ authors through the cross and his resurrection could be made available to us that to believe the right things and to live the right way and, and love the right way, we need to start with a new and true identity that all of these can flow from. That if we start with from the right core and truth about ourselves, that the rest will follow. The hard work is accepting the truth and freeing ourselves to be loved. And it's not by the things that we do. Uh, Brennan Manning, I wrote a book that uh, really upended my life years ago and continues to work on me today. It's called Abba's Child. Um, if you have some time, I would encourage you to read it. And, and I wanted to share a couple of quotes as I was looking through it uh, that are true about you. Our identity rests in God's relentless tenderness for us revealed 
in Jesus Christ. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. While the imposter draws his identity from past achievements and the adulation of others, the true self claims identity in its belovedness. When I draw life and meaning from any source other than my belovedness, I am spiritually dead. When God gets relegated to second place behind any bauble or trinket, I have swapped the pearl of great price for painted fragments of glass. Being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It is not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. Genuine faith leads us to knowing the love of God, to confessing Jesus as Lord and then being transformed by what we know. I hope you hear the same truth over and over as he reflects on our identity of who we are as God's children, his beloved. It reminds us of who we are so that we can do what we were made to do and not the other way around. As I mentioned earlier, I have three young children. And when I think about what it means to be a child, as I've been reflecting on this passage over these weeks, I I was paying attention to them and and trying to make a list of some of the marks of childlikeness. And and here are some of the things that I noted in them. Um, Children trust. They receive. They rest. They laugh. They play. Uh, We spent hours one day making paper airplanes and throwing them around the house in this time. They cry. They are brutally honest at times and oftentimes in the most awkward places because they see something that isn't right and they call it out, whether that's the grocery store or walking down the street. When they see injustice, when they see the things that are broken, they ask loudly because they want to know. They hope. They look forward. They have doubts and they come to us as parents. Some of the most special times are those times right before bed where they ask the big questions. I watch my wife, Rachel, for hours sometimes with the girls as they wrestle through the things that have happened in the days. Children wonder and they dream. So what does it say about us as children? And what does it say about our father? When I think about that list, I realize that God chose the image of children for us on purpose. One, that as his children, there is a legal ramification that we are full heirs of his, that each of us receive 100% of God's property, that when we are adopted to sonship, that when we receive the great gift of grace that he offers each of us, then we are called his children. And we, through no work of our own and no earning of our own, receive full life today and forever. New life gifted by the God of the universe through the sacrifice of his son and for the forgiveness of our sins and through the new life offered through his resurrection, which we just celebrated at Easter, it's an incredible promise. When in doubt, know that if you are his, you are his forever. And you can bank on that. But also as children, we're free to rest and to laugh and to cry and to trust and to love and to be loved. Jesus Jesus called God his Abba, his Abba Father. And Abba is roughly translated as Daddy. It is such an affectionate term, 
Abba. And it would have been so odd at the time for people to hear that in relation to God because God was so distant and far away, yet Jesus modeled an intimate relationship with his Father, a tender relationship, a sweet relationship, his Abba, his Daddy. And he invites each and every one of us to call out to God in the same way Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote a letter to a church in Galatia. And we see it in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And here's what he says. He says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. If Jesus is alive in you, his spirit is alive in you, and that spirit calls out to Abba, to God, to Daddy. Those that have been born of God are now called children of God. And this begins by faith and ends in love. And that is the reason we're told to behold, to see what great love the Father has bestowed upon us. This word behold, adieu, in, 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 in the ancient language means to sense and see with awakened understanding. It calls one to stop and ponder this amazing truth. What we are to sense and to see and to marvel at is the great love that God has given us. Only a person who knows God through Jesus Christ can appreciate what it means to be called a child of God. How great and how wonderful and how glorious is our gift of sonship. And if you have never taken the opportunity to put your trust in Jesus, you're invited. Today, right now, take as much time as you need, but don't take any longer than you have to. You can become a child of God. What a gift. And for those of you who are in Christ, the truest thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. Moms, you are more than just a mom, but not less than. You are a beloved child of God who gets to live out of her truest self and impart that love to your children. Dads, you're more than just a dad. You are a beloved child of God, and you get to live out of that and be a blessing to your children and to the world around you. Seniors in high school and college and to all of the students, you are more than a generation that lost the end of your year. You are a beloved child of God who will change the world by radiating his grace in the most powerful of ways. Uh, seniors in life, or as my friend Tom calls it, those of you who are in rewirement, you are more than just the sum of your past accomplishments or defined by your current situation. You are a beloved child of God. And we need you and your wisdom and your gifts tempered through the lens of God's grace over a longer view than most of us have. If you're still working in your job, you're more than what you do. You are a child of God who gets to be a blessing with what you produce. And you have the opportunity to serve those around you. If you're out of work, you are a beloved child of God. You have the space right now to understand your deep worth that comes only from God. The Father, and if and when you re-enter the workforce, you get to carry with you the deepest truth of your worth beyond what you produce. For those of you who are longing to be moms, I'm sorry this is so hard and that this day can be so challenging. 
I'm really glad that you're here because your identity has never just been based on being a mom or the person who desires to be a mom. Your identity is a beloved child of God who is cherished above all. That is the truest thing about you and not your circumstances. For all of you overachievers, welcome to the broken world we've created in the midst of our perfection and needing to be recognized for what we do. Guess what? We're more than the sum of our efforts. We are children of God. And for those of you who feel like you just can't get it together, you're in good company. God has always seen you as a child, not by the lack of what you can do or have to offer. God gave his son, his only son, for you so that you could be his child, a full heir of his riches, a true child of God. God is not distant from pain. In fact, his pain and his loss has provided a path for perfect childlike love. He is your Abba. He is your daddy. And if you can start to wrap your mind and heart around that, everything changes. You can live out of a place of wholeness that invites others in to your pain, to your disappointment, to your joy, to all of it. My encouragement in this season is to be alone with your Abba, to spend some time with that God, the God who loves you, that sees you as his beloved child. Uh, we have spent so much time alone that has been forced upon us. But we also have the opportunity to spend time alone in choosing to be with him. Spend time with that God and let it change you from the inside out. And then begin to live out of that. That will inevitably draw you to welcoming others. People need, that need to know that they are radically loved by the God of the universe, you have the opportunity to share that love when you live out of that place. When in doubt, trust, receive, rest, laugh, play, cry, be brutally honest, hope, look forward, have doubts and go to your Abba, wonder and dream. Know that the truest thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God and that changes everything.